This is A Drink with a Friend. I am Tish Oxenreiter. And I'm Seth Haynes. Seth, what are you drinking this afternoon? My my uh, favorite uh, brand of bottled water. Mm-hmm. Um, made in Texas. Named after <laughs> the Ozarks. Right. Ozarka. Fancy. Why? Why? We've talked about this before on the show. I don't understand this whole issue. It says Ozarka brand. Yeah. It's like brand is actually part of their labeling, which is also odd. Like, why would you put Ozarka brand? As if I didn't know that Ozarka was the brand. Right. Well, okay. So I don't usually buy bottled water, but I see this brand at HEB in the bottled water aisle. And I'm thinking it's the cheapest one there. So I'm almost wondering if this is like their, um, almost like a grocery store brand equivalent or like, I I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes they will just slap on a label. I don't know. Like it's like the off brand. It's telling you that Ozarka, it starts with an O as does the word off. And so it's just signaling to you that this is the off brand. Right. Right. Is that right? And it's made in Texas is we couldn't even get the branding right. We called it something from Arkansas slash Missouri, but it comes from Texas. So we're struggling here. Let's just call it Ozarka brand. So are you drinking this because it's in your office fridge or something? Yes, that's right. That is 100% why. I do not drink Ozarka brand water uh, anywhere other than at the office because it's what we have. Got it. And it's really better than tap water. So that's what I do. Okay. Uh, Do you have a favorite brand of bottled water? No, because I don't really... I mean, this sounds snobby and I don't mean to. I just don't drink bottled water. So I don't know. I have nothing to compare it to. It doesn't sound snobby unless you say, I don't drink bottled water because I don't want to kill the dolphins in the ocean. And, <laughs> well, you know, I suppose... Go on and on. I mean, you can you can want true, to but... not do that. Right. But the main reason I don't is because I can't be bothered because our top, tap mm. water is fine. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And, you know, with all these new, uh, you know, liquid canteens... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you can, you can just carry it around without having to use plastic, which I do appreciate. I do refill my plastic water bottles for any of you listeners out there that are <laughs> concerned about the environment as I am. Yes. I do. I do reuse and refill my, my plastic bottles until they start to taste funky. Mm, good. You need yeah, a, a permanent reusable one then. That's probably true. I do need one. If anyone has a brand out there that you like a permanent I don't really like Nalgene, so don't recommend Nalgene. Not going to use it. Um, the mouths are too big, and then the narrow ones, the mouths are too small. I just don't like mm-hmm. them. So if you have a brand of reusable water bottle that you love, please give us recommendations. I will be happy to entertain <laughs> the thought. And if you'd like to send me test product, potential sponsors, uh, send one my way. That's where I was going to go with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I why think, not? why Shameless. not? Mm-hmm. Let's take a shot at it. Right. So, Tish, what are you drinking today? I don't know if there's a drink spectrum, but there might be, in which case I'm kind of drinking the opposite of you. Um, I made for myself, I invented it, and so I need to come up with a name. It's a hot apple cider. No, I okay, first of all, let me say I didn't make it up. What I mean to say is I made it. This is not original. Mm. Um, It is apple cider heated with a shot of bourbon and a dash of some fallish spices and an orange peel. So huh. I went fancy because it's cold here, cold for Texas, and we have a thunderstorm right now, and I'm home by myself, and I've got candles lit, and I thought, you know what pairs well with all of what I just said? 
a warm and cozy fall drink. So that's where I went. Yeah, I think you should call it the fall down. Ooh, I like that. Because it has if I have bourbon. more than one, I would fall mm-hmm. down. Yeah, that's right. I can't drink very much. Uh, but it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. It sounds like a fall version of a hot toddy. I literally looked up hot toddy recipes and I was like, why am I making this complicated? I know what I want. I'm just going to like mix and match. And so I just did it. But yeah, I think yeah, maybe you is. should maybe you should call it the uh, fall toddy. I like this. We are coming up with ideas left and right for our um, shameless cookbook. Not cookbook, recipe book, cocktail book. Yeah, <laughs> that includes yeah, my cocktail book. water refilled it, from the tap. Mine's pretty easy. Mine's, yeah. get, you know, <laughs> grab a can of Lacroix. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, that's that's a, it's a real recipe. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm glad you're drinking the fall toddy or the fall down, whichever we mm-hmm. prefer. Maybe we should open up a little survey and ask people right. what they prefer to call it, or if you'd like uh, another name, let us know. All right. Well, on that note. Um, it's fall. We have a, a lot of listeners that have been reaching out to us, telling us, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, Seth, but we're having a lot of listeners let us know how much they like this conversation we've been having, this long ongoing conversation about sacramentality and about what it means to live with an awareness of that in the here and now and most mostly in the everyday. And I think that's really cool. Like, this is really resonating with a lot of people a lot more than I thought it would. Super fun. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense for us to kind of lean into that a little bit and recognize, like pause to recognize some of that happening in our lives. You know, we talk about the concepts a lot, but it's also really good to just stop and remember a story from our life. So I really like what we're going to do today, which is swap stories, right? So Why don't you kick us off? Tell me a little bit about, I don't know, how you saw the divine move in your life at some point. Or, I mean, even if it's not anything that monumental, just something sacred ordinary, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, you know, before I tell my story, I think one of the things that's really important is just to remember the power of stories and to remember to connect over stories. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I've been thinking a lot about coming out of a pandemic year, Um and we're kind of still in one, but like this morning, uh, for instance, I went to our, our local coffee shop to meet a friend downstairs. And when I got to the door, they had taken the mask sign down because the threat level here in Arkansas is now much, much lower than it was a few months ago. Yesterday, the pizza shop downstairs took away their mask sign also. Um, so we're s- sort of slowly starting to see this like return to normal. And it's really interesting to watch people interact in public. I was in, you know this, I was for work. I was in Colorado last week and I met someone uh, that I'd never met before and she stuck out her hand as if to shake it. And I sort of reluctantly reached out and shook her hand and she sort of reluctantly shook my hand and just said, I never know what to do right now. And, And it's so true. We've been so out of this groove of being together that I think we sort of lost what it means to be human in some mm-hmm. ways. We've sort of lost what it means to connect in some ways. Um, and what's really fascinating is I think what goes along with that is we've kind of lost uh, and forgotten how to talk to one another, mm-hmm. like without fighting on Twitter. We've forgotten how to sort of s- share a life together and to share stories. And so today um, what I really would love to do is just, 
it takes some time to remember what it's like to connect and share stories we haven't heard before. But have, have you gotten that sense too, that we've almost like forgotten how to do something that's fundamentally human? Yes, 100%. I think we're maybe like one month to six weeks ahead here in Texas with that because um, we're at a level two now threat level, which I can't remember the specifics of what that means, but level one is normal. So we are doing a lot better as well in the central Texas area. And so mask signs came down at a lot of local businesses. I don't know, gosh, a while ago now. First of all, in Texas, it's illegal to actually require a mask. But that's another topic. Um, but I still found this transition period and am currently in this transition period to feel a bit like um, rusty robots, almost like we, we're stiff and our, our gears are, you know, are just rusted over from unuse. And we're trying to remember what it's like to, like you said, shake hands and talk with each other. And so um, there is a lot of that like kind of squeakiness, I think, yeah. to our, our our interactions with each other. I About a month ago, I started meeting with a neighbor friend. Um, we have this um, just longstanding date to meet at four o'clock on Friday afternoons for one hour in the coffee shop at our neighborhood. And, you know, there've been already weeks when we just couldn't cause someone was out of town or whatever. And that's fine. But we just kind of have this like ongoing spot on our calendar set to where if we're both free, we'll just meet up there and it's one hour. And we, she goes and gets her kids, comes back home. My kids are home and we just talk about our weeks. And that has been beyond life-giving in a way that I didn't know was possible because of that exactly what you said. It was almost like training wheels on how to be a person. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, all that to say, right there with you, um, it's good to remember how to be human again in person, I think, in no other time that I can remember as yeah. in my life, really. Yeah. Yeah. And and kudos to our friends who have uh, recurring guests on the show, Dave and Karen, who are, are not here today. <laughs> Who create right. that space uh, I know. for you to meet, to meet and to speak and to talk. Oh, my gosh. I um, know. I look forward to really chatting with Dave and Karen one day soon. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, the training wheels, that's a good point. And I, I think today what I'd like to do is just, you know, share some stories. Share a mm -hmm. story. I share a story. You share a story. We share a story, um, you know, of th that we may or may not know. You actually do know my story because you've actually experienced, you lived part of it. You were in it. You're in this story, in fact. Cool. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with Italy and you're in it. Um, I, okay. But then I also think, to, yeah. to, to like ex explore and, and to share with the listeners, hey, you guys, when, when we're telling our story, like think of your transcendent story and share it with somebody this week, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, I like that. That's good. So without further ado. Yeah. So I've shared some of I've shared a lot of this story before in writing. Um, it's actually the subject of my first book, Coming Clean. So some of you guys may have have read the story, but you probably haven't heard it quite the same way. You will recall Tish years ago, and I do not remember um, the. Well, actually, I do. It was in September of 2013 uh, in Austin, Texas. There was a conference called Idea Camp. Mm -hmm. human care. Um, and the idea of idea camp was, you know, you get people together from all walks of life and you pull them down into this old Methodist church in the downtown area and you sit around and you talk about 
things of life that are important and particularly human issues. And this one centered around various human issues that kind of, you know, affected us, affected the world, affected the globe. And I was, am an attorney. And so I was tasked because I have this sort of interest in law and the law of international adoption to come down and speak about uh, the human care as it pertains to international adoption. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a very, you know, sort of difficult uh, season in my life. We had just come out of a season where my, my, my firstborn son, who was about two years old. Your lastborn son, right? Yeah, my lastborn son. Sorry. He was about two years old. And um, his first year, towards the end of his first year, had been just this really dark and mysterious time. And he had been very sick. And we went to the hospital. We were checked into Arkansas Children's Hospital uh, for, I think, close to a month it may have been three weeks. And uh, when we got out of the hospital, long story short, this part of the story short, um, I decided that uh, I didn't want to feel anymore. I didn't want to think anymore. I didn't want to deal with the struggle of unknown medical complications. We still didn't really have a diagnosis. We didn't know what was wrong with him. His health was still touch and go. And so I just decided the best way to make it through all of this was not by way of prayer, which what didn't seem to be working. It wasn't by way of really being super involved in my church, which also seemed to not be working. Um, But instead, it was to find my way to the bottom of every bottle. So there was a lot of gin involved, and there was a lot of bourbon involved. Um, There's a good bit of scotch involved, too. Frankly, anything that would lead to inebriation, some of it was involved, but it mostly revolved around bourbon and gin. I'm a huge Mm -hmm. fan of the fall down. And so for a series of, for about a year, I mean, it was a little bit over a year, um, you know, I drank a lot and here's how I drank. Maybe this would sound familiar to some of us. I would, you know, three o'clock, I would reach for the bottom that I bottle that I kept in my bottom right hand drawer at work and I'd pour a single. And then I would make sure that I had some client event that I would go to around four or four thirty for happy hour. And I would have a couple drinks there And then I would get home and I would sit down with Amber after we got the kids down and I'm still sort of nursing a hangover or a buzz, I hoped, you know, we would get the kids down and then I would pour a drink um, and I would pour drinks for Amber too. And I would make sure to pour a double for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when she would get up and go to the bathroom, I would uh, go back to the kitchen and pour another drink. And, you know, before this was all over, you know, every day it was between six and eight drinks. I mean, it was a lot of drinks. Hmm. Um, and I nursed that habit for about a year to the point where Amber asked me at one point, uh, do you think you might have a problem? And I said, no, I can quit whenever I want. Just like, you know, all those after school specials that we watched as we were growing up as children. Um, so that went on for about a year. And so here we are, I'm coming into this place called uh, idea camp, human care. Idea Camp Human Care. And Idea Camp Human Care was actually sort of a blast, if you remember, Tish. Oh, so fun. Yeah. We had this idea, and you were, were you living in Austin at the time? No, I had come in from Bend by way of Sydney, Australia. I don't know if you ah, remember that. That's yeah. right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, a group of us from Northwest Arkansas who had varying responsibilities uh, got with a group from California who had varying responsibilities at this conference. And we decided the right thing to do was to rent a house on David Street in Austin, Texas, which is this just amazing little street of old homes with a whole bunch of like, you know, college students living in these subdivided houses and old families. And I mean, just all this great mix, eclectic mix uh, of houses in this neighborhood. And there was one on Airbnb that had nine different rooms. And so we rented it. And uh, many, many, many of us descended on this home and we divvied up the rooms and we stayed in these rooms um, and so every night, what ended up happening is our house sort of became the party house. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, there were a, a big group of us who were living there for the weekend. But then you'd have another 20 or 30 people from the conference come over and we would stay up until one, two, three o'clock in the morning. And man, what were we doing? Playing music, hanging out, having conversation. You remember this? I loved it. I still think about it probably once a month. It was so fun. Yeah. It's, it was so, such a beautiful time. And, mm-hmm. and, and you, of course, were there as an attendee. Yep. And um, I remember the, the night after I presented. So I, I, you know, we, we arrived the night before um, and did our thing. And then the night after I presented, kind of I could cut loose. And so um, uh, my friend Chad and I were playing music and I remember we started drinking, um, pretty early that day. And I was drinking beer at first, which was pretty uncharacteristic for me because I can only drink a couple beers before I feel like I want to die. Mm. Uh, and, and I was drinking beer and I remember thinking I was with some really spiritual people. Right? And so what I was trying to do was count the drinks that I could drink without appearing drunk. And so at some point in the night, I sort of started losing track, but I had this theory that if I could just like keep it to a drink and a half per hour that I could have a buzz, but I would not appear to be drunk. Um, But I started losing count and I started getting a little bit more tipsy and a little bit more tipsy. And the last thing I remember uh, was about three o'clock in the morning showing up and I was on the front porch with my friend's bottle of tequila, sharing the gospel with three fraternity kids from across the street. <laughs> right. It was the most bizarre experience. Um, I really don't remember what I said. I don't think it was a very efficacious a presentation of the gospel, <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, you probably had were some heresy me, thrown in here and there. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Um, but there, were, I don't know if there's heresy, but there was a whole lot of tequila. So there was that. And yeah. I remember uh, looking at them and thinking like, this is a really bizarre experience. I'm not sure what's happening. So I put the bottle of tequila down. I stumble back inside and I fall into my bed. Hmm. The next morning I woke up, shot out of bed. I was actually in the wrong bed. I ended up in someone else's room. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. My, so my friend, uh, Rob Morris, who runs uh-huh. Love 146, an yeah. amazing organization, he was staying in the house. And somehow, and Rob had an extra room in his uh, extra bed in his room. And somehow I woke up in Rob's room in not Rob's bed, thankfully, because that would have been super awkward. Right. Uh, And I put my feet on the floor and I stood up and the whole room sort of did that thing where it tips from the left and to the right. Mm -hmm. And then Rob looked at me and he said, what are you doing in here? He had no idea what was in his room. (laughs) He was like reading at his bed. It was probably 930. And, um, and I said, you know what? I, 
I don't really know how this happened. And he started laughing. He's like, you don't, you don't look real good. <laughs> so <laughs> I take my shower and I'm getting ready to go to the conference. I'm late by this point. At which point you call. You mm-hmm. recall this? You called me. I totally and, remember this. Yeah. And you said, hey, I'm running late. Uh, would you like a ride if you're still at the house? And I said, yeah, I'd love a, a ride. Swing by and pick me up. And you said, I'll bring breakfast tacos. Yes. Which was a thing I had never heard of because I'm from Arkansas. Right. Do you remember where these tacos were from? Yeah. Taco Deli. Uh-huh. <laughs> Taco Deli. Yeah. Um, I remember nothing about it other than thinking, man, that grease probably would be helpful. <laughs> I just need something substantial here because, wow, right. boy, I feel like I might still be drunk. So you come, you pick me up, scarf down these breakfast tacos. We arrive at the Methodist Church. You make your way in and sit down, and I am uh, caught in the hall by a photographer, an amazing photographer named Daniel Hill, who still takes photographs and does stuff to feed the hungry around the world. Amazing guy. And we're sitting here having this conversation, and I am a thousand percent sure that I reeked of tequila, because Hmm. if you drink tequila, you reek of tequila, let's be honest. (laughs) And, um, And so about the time we're having this conversation, I don't remember what we were even talking about, um, probably photography. I turn and I'm, well, I guess I'm kind of looking over his shoulder and the, the doors to the, um, uh, sanctuary or not the sanctuary, the doors, the outside sort of open. We're in the foyer. It's this old stony bricky sort of, uh, foyer, very dimly lit, Mm -hmm. very soothing, very cool. In fact, and very, uh, dimly lit, which was nice if you have a hangover, and the doors open and it is like a thousand shards of glass came through uh, that door and stabbed me in the eyes. And that's how bright this light was. And and as the door closes, like this sort of silhouette emerges and it is my friend, Heather King, mm-hmm. a writer, not the Heather King. We've talked about this part on the show before. It was not the Heather King. It was not Heather King, the Catholic writer. It was right. a different Heather King who is a writer and is an amazing individual. Mm-hmm. And she sort of comes into full full view. And um, I was pretty shocked because she was supposed to be in Minnesota. And I went over and I said, hey, uh, Heather, what, what, are you, what are you doing here? That's not true. That's not what I said. Hmm. Um, I said, good morning. Ah. No, that's not true. That's not what I said either. These are both things that you would expect a normal human to say. You right. might even expect, hey, Heather, what are you doing in Austin? Yeah, That's right. not what I said either. Uh-huh. Instead, I said, because I knew her story, hey, Heather, how did you know you had a drinking problem? Hmm. And she looked at me with the kindest eyes, and I'll never forget her eyes. She has these these intensely blue eyes. And the reason I don't forget that is not uh, because they're beautiful eyes, although they are. It's because they're the same shade of my grandmother's eyes, who mm. were also who was also in recovery, a recovering alcoholic. And Heather looked at me with these kind sort of grandmotherly eyes, and she said, you know, don't you? And that was the moment. That was the moment that I knew that I could either sort of mm. snap out of it or things would get really bad. Um, now, that's not the part of the story that I want to share today. That's just okay. all prologue. Yeah. Prologue is the, the context, right? Can I just say also, though, as part of that story, I had no idea at the time that you were drunk or hungover or any sort of that. I was... I. And blissed, blessedly, blissfully naive to all of that. So I don't even know the signs. I mean, I was, you know, so I had no idea other than you leaned your 
forehead against the glass passenger window of my car. Um, and you made a comment about how it felt cool. And I just thought, huh, that's weird. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you remember <laughs> I don't that. even remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's pretty ph- phenomenal that you remember that. Yeah, I don't even yeah. remember that. Okay. Hey guys, a quick break from our chat to tell you about the tool you've heard me talk about already quite a bit that has really been a game changer for me. It's called Hallow, and it's a prayer and meditation app that has tons of great resources to help me pray and meditate better. You know, I've been a Christian my entire life, but it's only been within the past few years that I've cared a lot more about connecting with the rootedness of the global ancient church. So, I kind of feel like a baby Catholic, even though I've studied the Bible backwards and forwards, and my faith has always played a huge role in my life. You know, I'd heard of the rosary, the divine mercy chaplet, novenas and whatnot. But could I tell you what they were? No, I was basically on par with a heathen when it came to my awareness of prayers and traditions that billions of Christians had prayed over the past two millennia. But I'm quickly catching up to speed, thanks to Hallow. It has audio-guided ancient prayers, Bible readings, follow-along guides for things like Lectio Divina, Examine, Night Prayer, Seasonal Music, and more. And y'all, it's actually really high quality. I know sometimes stuff like this is either, you know, poorly produced or kind of cheesy. And Hallow is neither of those things, I'm happy to say. I personally have super high snobby standards in that department. So thumbs up for me. Some of what's on Hallow is intentionally really short. I mean, we're talking a minute long for those quick breaks you need in the middle of a workday. Some of it's for when you can't sleep and you need to quiet that monkey brain situation, which I've had a lot lately. Some of it's great for, you know, as you're sitting in traffic or going on a walk. You can also create customized routines, which is super cool. And it's really helpful for cultivating those habits we all want. It's like a no brainer, just easy way to automatically create a habit. So these days I've got a morning routine that include a daily rosary, a daily gospel reading, and a daily saint story and prayer. And then in the evening, I've got a routine of examine for, you know, nightly reflection and then listening to the liturgy of the hours as I fall asleep. These bookends to my day have made really a shocking difference in my life. Hallow, like I said, has a really slick interface. It's super easy to use, and they're always adding more features and resources without making it overwhelming. It's very intuitive. So I started Hallow back with a 30-day free trial, and I ended up loving it so much, I not only upgraded to an annual subscription with my own cash money, I went with a family plan so that my entire household can use it. Now, yeah, they're Catholic, but I was using Hallow as a Protestant, and I loved it just as much. In fact, it was a simple, encouraging way to, you know, quote, try out some beloved Catholic ancient practices without worrying of me not knowing what the heck I was doing, like I said earlier. So it really is for everyone. And I'm really thrilled that they're giving you guys, the Drink with a Friend listeners, an opportunity to to try them out with a 30-day free trial as well. So go to hallow.com slash drinks. That's H-A-L-L-O-W.com slash drinks. And you can test drive the complete version of Hallow free for 30 days. And then after that, you can still go with the free version, which still has some great stuff on it. But there's a chance you'll be like me and want to keep the full version because it's so dadgum useful. So that again is hallow.com slash drinks for a free 30 day trial. Okay, back to our chat.
Yeah, yeah. So so prologue, prologue for context. So mm-hmm. I I did not go to AA. I actually still don't ascribe to the process and to the theory of AA, which is a whole nother conversation. And for those of you who are in AA, love it, man. I love you for it. Keep doing your thing. Yeah. Um, I take a different approach uh, to my own relationship with alcohol, and that's that's another story for another day. But um, when I got back from Austin after this conversation with Heather, it was the beginning of a conversation that lasted the rest of the weekend. She was very gracious and talked with me a, a good bit uh, then and in the months following. I got back and I scheduled uh, some time with a therapist and and he said, do not go to AA. And upon a little bit of pushing, he said, listen, man, I don't know whether you have a drinking problem or not, but what I do know is based on the pain of your life, if you go to AA, I'm afraid you will not find a higher power. Um, that's the the level of doubt and sort of pain that I was dealing with. And so I, I went to him for a while, for a season. And, you know, I, I, I hadn't prayed for a year. I attended church because it's what you do in the South, but I hadn't prayed really for a year. I hadn't really read the Bible for a year, except for like those super depressing, how long O Lord Psalms. I love those. <laughs> I mean, those were pretty much just my life is how I felt. Right. Um, so as I started to go to therapy, he kind of just counseled me like, hey, look, go look for answers the last place you knew there were answers. It's kind of how he put it. Hmm. Um, and so every night I would sit down alone in the quiet with a journal and I would just sort of work through the pain points of my life. And from time to time I would pick up the Bible and sometimes it would say nothing to me and sometimes it would say something to me. Um, and something always felt better than absolutely nothing. So I guess that's why I kept doing that. It wasn't every night, but it was from time to time. And these like stories of my life would like replay in my mind, right? The stories of times that I found peace, the stories of times that God didn't show up and I felt, you know, scourged, the times when, um, you know, things worked out and the times when they didn't. And and these stories started replaying in a way that that helped me understand and to see, you know, as much as I don't want to admit it or think about it. And as much as I don't like it, like God has been around. Maybe he's not been in, maybe he's not been holding me up. Maybe I don't feel all those, you know, super Southern things that people say about God. Maybe I don't feel any of those things, in fact, but he's around, he's been around. And there was a moment when um, in the middle of all this was in November, I think this was probably a couple months after I had stopped drinking and Amber had to take Titus, our youngest uh, to the Mayo clinic. And she left and she said, you know, I hope you're going to be okay. It was the first time we'd been away from each other since I stopped drinking. And I said, I'll be fine. Go on, you know? So she goes and, and I remember the night that she left, I was sitting up in my bed and I had some tea and I was drinking the tea. And as I drank the tea, I prayed, God heal Titus. Three words. And those three words were super profound because, again, remember, I hadn't really exercised prayer, especially outside of a journaling moment. Like sort of I've written about God, but I hadn't really spoken to God, didn't really want to speak to God. And so I pray these three words, God heal Titus. And the immediate answer that I heard was no, which boy, that'll just set you back. When you start to pray and the first thing that you hear is nope, 
Um, now, was that the voice of God? Was that my internal voice? Was it my doubt? I Listen, I don't know. I'm just telling you that I was aware in my spirit that the answer was no, at least not in the way that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And to be frank, I was pretty pissed about it. Um, and I sort of sat back and, you know, you start thinking the thoughts of like, well, then why the hell am I praying? Yeah. And um, the first thing, again, I sense in, in my spirit is, well, at least you're here praying. Like the answer is no, but at least you're back praying again. And it was a moment of just sort of releasing all the doubt and all of the pain and the angst and the just ridiculousness of my own inner turmoil and saying, you know, I don't know what to do, but I can pray a simple three word prayer and hear no. And that's still a better form of connection with the transcendent divine than I've had in the last two years. Mm-hmm. And that really was the beginning of a return uh, to believing in the divine, the transcendent, the numinous God. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's not about things going how we want them to. It's about recognizing that this isn't all there is, right? I yeah. mean, this idea that I it doesn't stop with me. So even if you end up somewhere else and you don't like it, like, you know, God saying no to healing Titus, it's not you. It's not about you in a way. And so I think there's something really healing about recognizing the lack of us being the center of the universe that is healing on its own. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there's also just, you know, the farther I get away from the, the, the moment, I mean, egocentrism gets its talents in you, you know, it, 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 I'm actually looking at this icon of St. George that I have, which is a whole nother story, but it's St. George sort of slaying the dragon and the dragon has these really long, long talons. And the story of St. George is that he would, he would sort of come into the village and take away the virgin um, Mm -hmm. that was offered to him. And um, it was sort of their way of saving themselves was to be, uh, was to offer sort of the best of themselves to this, a dragon. And I think we do that. I think we offer the best of ourselves to the dragon. You know, we offer our spirituality, we offer our talent, our capability, our ego, whatever it is. And, and, and um, we begin to let the dragon sort of take away and twist and use the best of ourselves. And mm-hmm. it's not until we stop and say, wait a second, no, no, mm-hmm. I, I reject that. I slay that. I get rid of that. Um, that you can sort of turn to uh, God and say, you know, no matter what happens, you know, whether you uh, take away my son, whether you don't take away my son, uh, whether I have the career that I wanted or I don't, whether I have the car that I wanted or I don't, um, you know, this life is still worth living with an eye toward the divine, the transcendent, the numinous. Um, And how self-centered is it to think that I should have a better life than, you know, my neighbor next door who might've lost their kid at, you know, six months or a year old or, or the person across the ocean who uh, struggles to have their daily needs met. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a really selfish way of living. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that was kind of the first moment of breaking through that selfishness. And the fact that, you know, you're bringing this to us listening in story form 
just to bring it full circle, it reminds me of that Chesterton quote about um, why we need fairy tales or why we need stories is not to convince us that dragons exist because we already know that. It's to convince us that dragons can be slayed. And and for you to say that and recognize the dragon, um, you know, I think we all need to hear stories like like yours because whatever that dragon is, be it, you know, I mean, because yours seems like more a matter of trust and faith than about the literal, will my son be healed or not? You know, it seems like that's what you were dealing with. Um, it just came in that form. We, we need to remember that dragons are slayable even when it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. And I think for me, I mean, even to, to go farther, like the story really isn't even about alcohol. It's not mm-hmm. about addiction. It's not about any of these things. It, it really is about, um, you know, recognizing uh, the dragons that have their talons in you and turning to help, getting mm-hmm. help, looking for help. Yeah. Um, putting the ego aside and saying help. Mm, Yeah. And this was seven years ago now, something like that. Eight years. Well, yeah. I mean that, yeah, it was eight years ago. Dang. Time goes fast. Eight years ago, September. Bonkers. And so that's how long you've been sober, right? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been drunk now in eight years. So that's a, a really good feeling. Yeah. That's no small thing. Eight years plus, in fact. Mm-hmm. So, Tish, that's my story. And it occurs to me as I'm telling the story that that was about 30 minutes of story time. So, how would you feel about coming back next week and sharing yeah. your story of the transcendent, the numinous, the divine, or just an everyday moment of extraordinary, ordinary beauty that happened and changed your life forever, no pressure? <laughs> well, I think you tapped into something because that's really what we're trying to do here with this little show, right? Is just recognize the divine in the everyday. And if it takes 30 minutes of like a captivating story that I did not even recognize was 30 minutes long, then so be it. So I am great with swapping stories next time. And I think the important thing, or maybe not the important thing, but the thing I, I want us to walk away from this chat is to recognize those stories in our lives. You know, all our listeners have some version of what you just said, even if it, even if it's not about sobriety or about a scary illness, it's about, you know, something that they can remember while they're folding laundry or something from their childhood. And so I think, um, yeah, as we continue to share stories, let's just keep in mind, notice those stories and remember them and, and recognize that those stories actually matter and they mean something. They're there for a reason. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Cool. Yeah. Happy to share. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. I need you to bring your A game um, and no pressure. <sighs> okay. All right. I feel <laughs> it. Right. So, so yeah. Tish, mm-hmm. then tell me what is one thing that you are reading, watching, listening to, feasting on, et cetera, et cetera, that is bringing you a little more truth, beauty, or goodness? Um, so I'm really hemming and hawing between two. I'm going to just go with this one. And the only reason is because the other one, it is so dadgum good when it comes to storytelling, but I'm not sure it embodies truth, goodness, or beauty like I want it to, other than it points me to what's actually true, good, and beautiful because it's so not, if that makes sense. And that's the show Midnight Mass. 
on Netflix. Have you oh, seen it? Oh boy, not yet, but it is on the watch list. I love these stories: Haunting of Hill House, Bly Manor. These are amazing. yeah. Well, so I'm not usually a horror story person at all, like times a hundred, but this is phenomenal storytelling. So well done. There's so many good, like 10 minute monologues about what happens when we die that are worth like writing down in a journal um, in the middle of a scary story. And that just has surprised me. So I've been delighted at how I've been surprised at how much I like a horror story. Um, dang, talk about some twisted theology, not not commenting on the screenwriter or the creator of the show, more the story he's telling. Um, but oh, it's fascinating. We might need to do a whole episode on that one just because I like I can't stop thinking about it. Kyle and I cannot stop thinking about it. We keep bringing things up. But so I'll pause on that till maybe you've seen it. The the thing I'm really delighting in right now, I'm just I've got this on my nightstand and it is not a deep read at all, which is kind of what I need right now. And it's called The Theology of Home. And it's by Carrie Gress and Noel Maring. And I really think this would make a good Christmas gift coming up to listeners who feel like they they have someone on their list and they're not sure um, what to get them, but they know of somebody who is just phenomenal at homemaking is the word I can think of, but I don't mean it in a 1950s apron way. I mean it in a real way, like someone who um, is great at making your home feel like you're supposed to be there whether you actually live there or whether you're a guest. And so these ladies, the the subtitle is called Finding the Eternal in the Everyday, which is kind of exactly what we talk about here on the show. So this book is right up our alley. Um, It's a lot of, there's some practicals about homemaking stuff, but not really. It's a lot about like how things like the lighting in your house affects um, recognizing the eternal in the everyday order, you know, having things tidied and why it's not just about, you know, being nitpicky. It's about, um, creating a space, uh, gets into the aura at labora idea from Benedict about praying and working and just creating a space for that, for all who live there. So there is a sequel called very creatively theology of home Two that I am going oh. to order for myself. Um, perhaps just tell Kyle to get it for me for the holidays. But anyway, I'll put this in the show notes. It's really good. So Theology of Home is what I am enjoying these days. That's great. I wish that they had consulted with me on the uh, titling of the sequel. (laughs) I know. I saw that and I was like, huh, that's that's what you came up with then. All right. (laughs) Maybe I should start doing that with all my books. Right, right. Part two, part three, part four. Seth's next book. Just call it that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Seth's next book, part three. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, so yeah, what are you so reading, great. watching, or listening to that's adding more beauty to your life? Well, I it was not, have not been historically a huge podcast listener, which makes this show mightily ironic. Am I right? Uh, you're right, but I bet it makes it what it is and kind of better in that way. You don't Maybe, have to do I podcasty don't things, which is good. Who knows? I know nothing about podcasts, really, which makes this just a conversation, I suppose. But in any event, there are a few that I listen to that I love. Um, the There's a, a one by a, a dude that runs uh, CrossFit New England um, in Boston, I think. I really like his show, Chasing Excellence. I love that. It's a great show. It's not like 
who I am necessarily. I'm not like the inspirational bro code guy or whatever, but I do <laughs> like that uh, podcast. I, I listen to the daily because obviously mm-hmm. that's a helpful catch up to speed on things. Um, I have now listened to the Mars Hill podcast because mm-hmm. I feel like if you grew up evangelical in any way that you should definitely listen to that. Um, but I've also found a podcast that is that I really like a lot. And she's a bit okay. of a firebrand, a former New York Times writer, Barry Weiss. Oh, I and yeah, I know who she is. It's I, I've bookmarked her show, but I haven't listened to it yet. The, so the show is called Honestly. Um, you know, she's a little shocking. I think I think that's kind of her brand. I you know, it, but in any event, she's not trying to get people to agree with her one way or another, and I certainly don't a lot of times. Um, but she, her last show, not the last show, but the show before that was with uh, uh, Ross Douthat, the uh-huh. Catholic sort of intellectual writer for the New York Times. Yeah. And his show, I did not know this, but he struggles with debilitating pain from Lyme disease. And the show talks about the things that he learned from pain. And there's this moment that I still, it it just stops me when I think about it. She asked him, do you think God gave you Lyme disease? And this is a question of sort of this, I don't know if she's atheist or not, but it's sort of this. She's Jewish. (laughs) uh, Yeah, it's this, but, you know, is she practicing? Does she really believe? I I don't really know. But it's this sort of like very worldly academic sort of question. And he says, you know, I could sort of parse this theologically, you know, what does God will versus what does he desire versus what does he create and cause? And, Mm -hmm. you know, he's like, I could kind of him and ha around that. But like to answer the question, yes, I think God gave me Lyme disease. And I was actually really shocked by the answer. Yeah, And then he goes on to say, and maybe in my 20s, if I had lived better, maybe I wouldn't have, blah, blah, blah. But he goes on to say, essentially, that everything that God wills in this life is for some purpose, for some pedagogical purpose, to teach us, to move us somewhere else, to bring us closer, to teach us, in his case, to teach him how to pray. And I, I don't know if I agree with that, but I don't think it matters whether I agree with it. Um, it was a, an astounding answer from a sort of run of the mill, uh, every day, every day I say, well, I mean, he's just a think, he's just a thinking's man, a thinking man's thinker, mm-hmm. um, who writes for the times and unafraid to say, I think I experience what I experience because God needs me to learn how to pray. Wow. Uh, and that just really stood out to me and shocked me that he said it and I loved it. And so I highly recommend that episode. You know, in some ways, I feel like I've heard that before from other Catholic thinkers, you know, the idea of offering it up. Um, You hear of that phrase a lot, I find among Catholic thinkers that God gives us suffering so that we can give it back. And in doing so, we are becoming more like Christ. I've heard that. And um, I don't know, it kind of echoes that sentiment a little bit yeah plus p.s i'm glad you said his name because i've always thought it was doubt hat <laughs> which is dumb now that i see it doubt hat yeah <laughs> so thanks for Today saying I've it. i've got my doubt hat on right I- i've actually thought it was a cool last name but doubt hat works too there you go anyway okay well it is time to wrap this up but we will continue this chat next week you can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drink with a friend.com 
As always, if you like the show and what we're doing here, you can help keep it going by picking up the next round of drinks. The show is free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. So at the cost of a cup of coffee or a pint, you can play a part. Find the link to do this in the show notes of this episode or at adrinkwithafriend.com. And thank you very much in advance. You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, where can people find you? They can find me at sethhaines.com. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenrider. I'm Tish Oxenrider with Seth Haynes, and we'll be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening.